Friends, hear these words from the book of Isaiah as well as from the book of Revelation. Listen to this as God summons us to come into his presence. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And from the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You know, normally we sing together and celebrate and praise our God through song. You'll notice that in the church-wide email that we have a song list for you. We would ask that you would listen to those songs at some point. They were specifically picked out for the worship service today. They work out the theme that we'll be talking about in the message Uh, work out that gospel application of that theme into our lives. So as you can sometime today or this week or whenever is convenient, listen to those songs and worship God and understand the gospel more deeply. But know that as we come into God's presence, that we should always enter into his presence. The holy God, a righteous God, a loving God should always enter into his presence, cognizant of who we are, that we're broken people, that we are people who have rebelled against God, that we are a people of grace, that God's grace leads us to understand ourselves as well as understand the glory of God and his love and grace at work in us. So if you would, let's confess our sin together because it's by grace that we are willing to admit how much we need God. So if you would, let's confess our sins together following along Um, with what we have written. So let's say this. Merciful God, in love you have ordered every step of our lives. From beginning to end, our days are numbered. Your promises predate our birth. Your presence through the ups and downs of life guaranteed. As we pass from here to our eternal rest, the words, well done, await us. Yet it is only by grace that we know and live out these truths. Our rebellious hearts are drawn to find meaning, security, and purpose in temporary things. We are prone to look for security in money. We strive to find meaning in approval. We seek purpose in production, being needed, being good, being better. Our hearts are so hardened that we do not look for you. Our hearts are so affected by sin, we are unable to make ourselves clean. But we praise you that your grace is powerful. Our hard hearts are no match for your grace. Your grace shows us that our sin hung From the cross. Your grace reveals to us that resurrection from the grave means our dead hearts are made alive.
Your word teaches us that grace is a person. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convincing us that Jesus' death and resurrection is good news. Because of Jesus, our past, present, and future are redeemed. In Jesus, our purpose, security, and meaning are sure. He is our living hope. All is gift. All is grace. Amen. Let's take a few moments now and confess more particularly, more specifically, our brokenness to God. Perhaps something that we read together there uh, pricked your heart or stood out to you. Perhaps there's something from this past week that the Lord has brought to your mind that you need to acknowledge before him and therefore find forgiveness and hope. So let's do that now. And after we do this for a few seconds, a few moments, I'll come back in with a prayer and then tell you and assure you that our God is gracious and forgiving. Father, we thank you that we can come to you as children knowing that your love for us is full, free, unconditional. Thank you that you have done all that we need in Christ. Thank you that you and your Son have given us the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we are growing, that we are changing, that we are becoming more like Jesus. We pray with great confidence and hope because we confess all of these things and the hope we have in Jesus. Amen. Beloved, hear God's assurance of pardon taken from the book of Isaiah and the letter from Peter to the churches. Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. And through the resurrection, we now have a living hope. All this is in Christ. Having confessed our sin and heard God's assurance of pardon, let us confess our faith together. This morning, we're using the Nicene Creed. Every week when we gather together, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. So we confess this, as all of God's people have done for 15 plus hundred years. So let's confess our faith together. Beloved, what is it that you believe in? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. 
He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Good morning. Uh, It's good uh, to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, to worship our God. We are uh, thankful for technology that uh, allows us to do this and to live stream this. Um, At the same time, we are certainly uh, looking forward to and and longing for the day when we will be able to be uh, in each other's presence physically uh, again. We we certainly uh, really do look forward to that and hope that that day uh, is growing closer uh, and closer. Um, In the meantime, we will use the good gift of technology that God has given us um, to worship uh, together. Uh, This year, we've been uh, going through the Bible uh, together, uh, covering Genesis to Revelation and thinking about the four-part story of Scripture. The last couple of weeks, we have spent some time in the wisdom literature of the Bible, um, in Proverbs and in Job, and thought about uh, how the Bible shows us that, that wisdom actually comes to us in a person, in the person and work of Jesus. And that in Jesus, we learn uh, wisdom, which is what it looks like to live out the three loves that we see in God's story of loving God and loving people and loving the place where he has put us. And wisdom is also what it looks like for us to live into the four-part story of Scripture. Creation, our rebellion, God's redemption in Jesus, and his restoration of all things. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to transition and begin looking at the prophets of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah today. And specifically, we're going to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 55. Um, But we've also been talking about these five threads that we see throughout the story of Scripture. These threads of God having a people and he's always building his church. That evil is real, but it doesn't get the last word. The thread of grace. God initiates. God pursues. God changes. The thread that Jesus did it. Jesus actually accomplished something in his work on the cross, and that everything is moving toward Jesus. And in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, I want us to think more specifically about a couple of those threads this morning. The thread of grace and the thread of Jesus, that he actually accomplished something and that everything is moving toward him. I'm going to read the first three verses of Isaiah 55 and then skip down and read verses 7 and 8. And then we will skip down again and read verses 12 through 13. But they should be on the screen for you. But let's hear God's word together. Let's 
take this in, the beauty of what it is that Christ has done for us. Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love, sure love for David. Skipping down to verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you give us your word to show us uh, who we are, that we are those who are broken and sinful and rebellious, and to show us who you are, that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who redeems us. You are a God who is gracious and merciful towards us in Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would Make Jesus bigger and bigger to us. That you would open our eyes and our hearts to see that in Christ it is finished. Our sins have been paid for. We have forgiveness and we have new life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one big takeaway for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 55. And our big takeaway is that Isaiah 55 is all about the living hope that we have in Jesus. So if you hear nothing else this morning, hear that. That that we have a living hope in Jesus. And in order to unpack that, we have to get into the book of Isaiah and we have to get into Jesus. And so that's going to be our two points today, getting into Isaiah and getting into Jesus. So let's begin by getting into this prophet, getting into this book, getting into the book of Isaiah. And we're going to do that by beginning with a little bit of background. Isaiah is a prophet who is called by God. He lived in Jerusalem, and his ministry covered roughly the span of 720 B.C. to 680 B.C., which means that Isaiah's ministry covered the time of pre-exile for God's people before they went into exile and were kicked out of their land. Um, It also covers the time in which God's people were actually in uh, exile. And then there's also portions of the book of Isaiah, particularly towards the end, that are all about post-exile and the future hope that we have uh, in Jesus. 
And what God does is he calls Isaiah to be a prophet to his people, to call his people back to covenant faithfulness. And the message that God gives to Isaiah to give to his people is a message of judgment and hope. Judgment and hope is the message that God gives to Isaiah. And that's pictured for us really early on in the book, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6 is a, is a wonderful snapshot of what the entirety of the book of Isaiah shows us. It actually gives us a picture and an illustration of everything that the book of Isaiah is about. And Isaiah 6 is God's actual calling of Isaiah to be a prophet. And what happens is that God brings Isaiah up to his throne room, up to the throne room of God. And Isaiah gets into the throne room of God and he recognizes where it is that he is. And Isaiah proclaims to God, he says, woe is me. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognizes that he is sinful Isaiah recognizes that God's people are sinful. Isaiah recognizes that he is unclean and God's people are unclean. This is this message of judgment that is needed. See, you see what's happened is that Israel, God's people, have run away from God. They've turned away from God. They have turned to follow the gods of the peoples that are surrounding them and looking to those gods for security and comfort and wealth and power. And they have run away from God. And so Isaiah recognizes that that is something that has to be made right. That has to be judged. That he is unclean. That God's people are unclean. And what's true is this is actually a picture of all of us. This is indicative of our own state. I am a man of unclean lips. We are a people of unclean lips. We are sinful before God and that has to be judged. And God responds to Isaiah and he says, basically, you know, Isaiah, you're right. You are a man of unclean lips and you do live amongst a people of unclean lips. But I'm actually going to do something about that. And what God does is he sends a seraphim down to Isaiah with a burning coal in his hand. And the seraphim touches Isaiah's lips with that burning coal. And what God declares in that is that that coal is making Isaiah's lips that are unclean, clean. And what God is communicating in that is that you're right. Judgment is needed. You are unclean, but I will make you clean. I will be the one who will cleanse you. This is the message of hope. Hope is only found in God. And God says, I'm actually going to be the one who is going to take your uncleanness and make you clean. And so the rest of the book of Isaiah really plays out that snapshot that we see in Isaiah 6. Immediately following Isaiah 6, we go to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, God tells us a little bit of what it is going to look like that he is going to clean us from our sinfulness. And God says, I'm actually going to send you someone, someone who's going to be born of a virgin, and will actually be Emmanuel, God with you. And we know 
if we move forward way to way forward to the gospels that this is actually Jesus himself who is born of a virgin who is actually Emmanuel God with us God will provide cleansing for our sin by giving us himself by giving us Jesus that's what he is going to do and how he is going to accomplish that payment and that cleaning for sin gets spelled out as we move forward in the book of Isaiah and most specifically in what Dave already read to us from Isaiah chapter 53. How is God going to atone and pay for sin and clean us of our sin? He's going to give us Jesus and Jesus will be despised and rejected. Jesus will bear our iniquities. He will carry our griefs and our sorrows. Upon Jesus will be the judgment, the chastisement that will bring you and I peace, that we will be made clean, we will be made whole. And it is by the wounds of Christ on the cross that you and I will be healed, that we will be made clean, we will be made whole message of judgment and hope that's the message of Isaiah that we are actually an unclean people and that we need to be made clean and that the only way that you and I get made clean is in the person and work of Jesus that God himself will make us clean through the cross through our suffering savior by his own body and his own blood That's getting into Isaiah. And we come to Isaiah chapter 55, and we need to get into Jesus a a little bit deeper. So let's get into Jesus. Isaiah 55 really shows us the effects of what Christ does for us. The very beginning of Isaiah 55 in verse 1, Isaiah gives us a metaphor for what our condition spiritually is before God, that we are those who are thirsty before God. This is another way of Isaiah explaining that we are unclean before God. We are thirsty. And then he gives us this invitation, an invitation to come, to come to the waters and to receive water, to receive being quenched, your thirst being quenched, to receive milk and wine, to come and to buy milk and wine without price, and to have our thirst quenched. Uh, Many of you know that uh, shortly after college, I spent a, a good amount of time in the country of Nepal. And for those of you that don't know much about the country of Nepal, um, It is the country where half of uh, the south side of Mount Everest resides in the country of Nepal. And so I actually spent a good bit of time uh, up around Mount Everest and hiking around Mount Everest and meeting people and trying to build relationships with people and everything. And being up around Mount Everest is a a little bit like being off the grid. Actually, it's really, it really is off the grid. Um, But there are several different villages that you stay in overnight along the Everest trek and everything. But While we were up there, one thing that's really difficult to come by is a shower. 
and particularly a hot shower. As a matter of fact, at the time that I was living in Nepal, there was only one village that had a hot shower. And the name of that village was uh, Namshi, Namshi Bazaar. And Namshi was this hub. It was the village that everybody had to go through to get onto the Everest Trek and to get up to uh, Mount Everest. And so you can imagine during all this trekking, it was hard to find a shower to bathe in and to clean in. And the, the, the longest amount of time that I went without actually taking a shower while I was up there was three whole weeks, 21 days. For those of you that have been on overnight trips with me, you know what the stench is like just after one day of me not having a shower. So you can imagine what 21 days is going to be like. Like the dirt is absolutely caked in layers uh, on my skin. And after 21 days, I find myself in Namshi Bazaar, uh, in the lodge that has the one hot shower in all of the Everest region. But that hot water costs money. As a matter of fact, that hot water cost me one dollar per minute to use. And with all that dirt caked and piled on me and everything, it took 30 minutes in order for me to actually get clean. So I spent $30 on a hot shower to be made clean. Isaiah 55 shows us that we are thirsty, we are unclean before God, but it invites us to come to be made clean, to have our thirst quench, to buy without money. We need to be clean. We need to come. And we have to buy it. It costs something. But that cost doesn't come to us. How? Grace. Remember the thread. Grace. God is the one who pays for it. God is the one who foots the bill for us to have our thirst quenched, for us to be made clean. And it's a whole lot more expensive than a $30 hot shower. As a matter of fact, the cost cost Jesus everything, his very own life, his body and his blood. He gave himself for us that we would be able to come to the waters and have our thirst quench and be made clean, to buy milk and be nourished, to buy wine and to celebrate what it is that he has done for us, that we are forgiven in Jesus, beloved. Have you considered afresh what it took for you to be made clean, to be forgiven? Have I considered that afresh? Have we slowed down and considered what Jesus went through for us that we would have forgiveness? That we would be children of God, sons and daughters, heirs to everything that God has promised, a world made new and right. I would encourage us to slow down and to consider that. To consider it afresh, God's grace to us. Are you maybe with us this morning? You're just kind of peering over the fence of Christianity. Not exactly sure what to think about it. But something is drawing you to watch this live feed. And maybe it's your own struggles with your own brokenness. And maybe you're actually even feeling deep down, you know, I do need forgiveness. Forgiveness is offered in Jesus. 
And we come and we buy, but we don't buy with our own merits. Christ buys it for us. Consider what Jesus has done for you and for me. But you know what else? God knows that we're actually quick to forget this grace to us in Jesus. And in verse 2, he really kind of hits us right between the eyes. And he says to us, why do you buy food that is not going to fill you up? Why do you work and labor so hard for things that aren't going to satisfy? God knows that we are quick to forget free grace, so he takes us deeper and deeper into Jesus Why do you spend money on food that doesn't fill you up? Why do you work so hard for things that don't satisfy? You know, for those of you that that have children or have spent time with uh, with children, you know what this actually looks like. Uh, I know for for Carrie and I, uh, with our kids, if we offer to them what they would like to eat at every single meal, they are going to choose something that is sugary and basically like empty calories and something that is not going to uh, leave their bellies actually full. And we've actually allowed them to make that decision a few times as well too, to choose what it is they're going to eat at each meal. And inevitably what happens is, is that after about 30 minutes of the sugary soup, or the honey buns um, for lunch or whatever it is, they come to us and they say to us, I'm hungry. And we tell them, well, that's because you chose to eat something that wouldn't, we like to say, stick to your ribs and fill you up. And God says that we're the same way when it comes to the offer of grace. We run to so many other things to try and satisfy ourselves or make ourselves feel full and whole. We are so quick to run to things other than his grace. That was true of Israel I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that, that, that God gives Isaiah this prophecy in his word, is that Israel is running to so many other things than God to find satisfaction. They're running to the, to the gods of the, the people who are surrounding them to find comfort and pleasure, control, power, all of those things. And, and we're not so different from that. We run to a whole host of things rather than God and his grace. Why is it that we run from grace so much? Why is it that you and I are so threatened by grace? Why is it so hard for us to believe that the only thing that we bring to the table is rebellion, is uncleanness, and that we need to be made clean? Well, I think God does hit us right between the eyes in verse 2. And says the reason that you run to those things is you think that you can satisfy yourself. You think that you can make yourself feel absolutely full. That you can just do that on your own. That you can feel the deepest longings of your hearts on your own. Let's sit down and think about this for a minute. Let's let's think about some of the things that it is that we run to for this fulfillment and this satisfaction. And I'll share with you some of my own struggles. Money. I mean, how many of us run to money to find the security that our hearts deep down are looking for? You remember the first time that you got a raise at your job and how elated you felt at getting more money for the work that you were doing? But then do you remember after a few weeks, it kind of wore off and you found yourself needing 
another raise. And then maybe you got that next raise and then a few more weeks or months and you needed another raise. And all of that security that you and I have been looking for in money, it's not enough. It's always asking for more. How about sexual fulfillment? How many of us run to sexual fulfillment to, to, to feel filled up and satisfied? And really what it is that we're looking for is this deep intimacy of being known fully and loved fully. And when we place all of our hope for fulfillment and satisfaction in sex, what ends up happening? We're always looking for more. It's never enough. Or maybe it's approval. I struggle with approval a lot, a ton. And when we struggle with approval, what we are actually looking to is our own productivity and our own merits to gain the approval that our hearts deep down long for. You remember that teacher, that coach that you had in high school that you just really wanted their approval And then when you got the A on that test, you felt that, but then there was another A to get. It wasn't enough. Or you finally got the pat on the back from the coach. You said, a good job. But then you found yourself very quickly looking for another one because it wasn't enough. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your parents gave you zero encouragement whatsoever. And the vast majority of your life, you have been striving for and looking for the approval of your parents just to hear them say, I'm proud of you. And maybe you've even heard those words later on in life. But it doesn't take long for I'm proud of you to get old and to wear off and then for us to need to hear that again and again and again. It's never enough. And God says, Why do you run to those things? Why is it that you run to those things? And the offer, the invitation of verse 1 still stands. It still stands in verse 2 and verse 3. God says, listen to me diligently. Hear me. Come to me and I will fill you with rich food. I will fill you with the longings of your hearts And it is found in Jesus. And it's the same thing that I promised David, King David, that we talked about several weeks ago. It's an everlasting covenant that is found ultimately in King Jesus. And it is for all who would come. All who would come and find grace that will quench the thirst of our souls deep down. Beloved, Isaiah 55 shows us the living hope that we have in Jesus. The effect of what it is that Jesus has done. And that actually affects our past, our present, and our future. Let's think about that for a few moments. This living hope that we have in Jesus, it applies to our past, our present, and our future. It affects our past. In Jesus, our past doesn't catch up with us. In Jesus, our past doesn't hang over our head. As a matter of fact, it has been confronted and dealt with fully and finally on the cross. All of those places that you and I run to to be filled up for satisfaction, the approval, the security, 
the intimacy, the money, the sex, all of those things have been dealt with in Jesus fully and finally. It does not hang over your head or my head. Jesus literally says that it is finished in him. We are not in a position where we find ourselves in this hole and we are somehow trying to work our way out of it or convincing ourselves that we just need to make sure at the end of the day that somehow our good outweighs our bad. No, what you and I receive in Jesus is grace, is grace, the free gift fully paid in the blood of Jesus. Our past is taken care of. It does not hang over our head. Jesus is our living hope for our past. Jesus is also our living hope for our present, beloved, because our past doesn't define us. Jesus does. Jesus defines us. The grace of God in Jesus defines us, which means that we have grace right now to fight sin, to struggle to strive in grace, to be more and more like Jesus, to see God's grace to us in Jesus. We have the opportunity to come back to the cross again and again and again. Jesus absolutely is our living hope in our, in our present. And Isaiah 55 shows us that as well too. If we go down to verse 7 that we read earlier, there's this invitation, forsake your wicked ways, run away from unrighteous thoughts, run to God's compassion. And what you will find is his compassion and his pardon again and again and again. Jesus is our living hope for our present. We never get beyond Jesus, beloved. We never get beyond needing the gospel. As we say oftentimes that the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It's not as though Jesus just gets us in the door and then the rest of it is left up to us. No, we are a people who are defined by grace, beloved. We are a people defined by God's grace to us in Jesus. And what God does is he reminds us of what Isaiah says in verse 8. That our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not God's ways. That God operates out of grace. And so the way that that works in us is we continue to come back to the cross. We continue to come back to Jesus and see constantly and consistently, consistently that we will forever need Jesus. And what Jesus does is he grows us in grace. He begins to grow us and make our thoughts like God's thoughts and our ways like God's ways. And what that means is that Jesus grows us to be a people who are grace-based, a people who live out of his grace to us, a people who live out of the reality that we are those who have received grace. And that is what defines us. And then what that does is that makes us a people who want to administer that same grace to others, to live out of grace towards others, to choose to be kind and gentle and loving in the way that God is towards us in his grace, that we are a people in our present right now who are empowered by grace to fight sin and to be gracious towards others, empowered to love God, to love people and to love the place that he has put us this living hope that we have in Jesus, it also defines our future too, beloved. It also affects our future. 
Isaiah 55 carries with it a future hope to it. You see, we all know that, as Dave mentioned earlier, the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. We still struggle with our own sin. There's not a day that goes by that I don't run to money for security, that I don't look to a whole host of other things for approval. I still struggle with those things. We still struggle with our sin. We also know that we live in a world that's not the way that it's supposed to be because our world is broken. It's broken, and we see that even by the fact that we're having to do this via video and live stream. That we can't be in each other's presence because there's a virus that is permeating people in our culture, making it unsafe to be in each other's presence. This world is broken. But it's not just that. Even in the midst of all of this, how many children and people, even in our country, have to worry about where their next meal comes from? Or how many people in our country have to worry about whether or not they can go for a run because of the color of their skin? This world is broken and unjust. And Isaiah 55 tells us that our future living hope that we have in Jesus is a world that will be made right and new and justice will absolutely reign because everything is moving toward Jesus. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. This is our future in Jesus. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Everything is moving toward Jesus. Joy is our future in Jesus Peace, wholeness, everything being made right, justice reigning is our future in Jesus. All of creation will literally sing to the glory of what it is that Jesus has done in his person and work in cleansing us of our sin and paying for our sin with his very own body and his very own blood and bringing new life. The trees will sing and clap their hands and we too will join our voices with all of creation and sing of the glory of God to us in Jesus. Thorns and briars will no longer define us. But the cypress and the myrtle will grow up and it will be an everlasting sign of the reality that we will be in God's presence forever, never to be cut off. We will come to the table of Christ and we will receive water and milk and wine and the richest of foods without payment because Jesus has paid for it with his very own body and his very own blood, beloved. We will inhabit a future where all things will be made new, where we will feast and weep no more. Beloved, Isaiah 55 is all about the living hope that we have in Jesus. And that living hope applies to our past, to our present, and to our future. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus... It has been paid in full that his blood covers our sin and that his blood promises us that we are moving toward him 
and toward a world that is made right and new. And in the middle of all of it, you still continue to define us by your grace and give us grace to grow us, to fight sin, to fight injustice and brokenness, and to see that we need Jesus and we never stop needing him. And Holy Spirit, you're the one who does this work in us. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Beloved, we do continue to look forward to the time where we can be in each other's presence and worshiping our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit uh, together uh, as God's people being defined by grace. But as we leave this live stream and we go out through our weeks and we continue to navigate what it looks like to live by grace, know that God sends us out with his blessing from his word, which means that you can bank your entire life on this. The Lord will bless you and he will keep you. This week, his face is shining upon you, which means that he is smiling upon you and he is being gracious to you and to me. We are defined by grace to live out that grace in the world and both now and forever in the age to come, God's presence is always with us and he will bring us peace. In Jesus, beloved, we are made whole. Go in that peace.